0: Welcome to the second installment of the NP Unit series of the Purple Stethoscope, where I am finding nurse practitioners from all over the country doing amazing things to make healthcare accessible, affordable, and relevant. This week, I'll be speaking with Corrine Copeland, family nurse practitioner in Cypress, Texas, founder and CEO of Real Nurturing Family Practice. <music> you're listening to the purple stethoscope i am your host devin nixon family nurse practitioner none of the information in this podcast is sufficient nor intended to diagnose your personal medical issue but there's a lot to learn so let's start the show
1: my whole dream about starting um, a business came five years ago. I started off in the ER as a pediatric nurse, but then I went into adults and that's why I stayed for like the majority of my time. So I said, okay, I need to get back into pediatrics. So I um, went to Texas Children, applied, got a a, a position there. And that's why I started working with nurse practitioners very closely. I saw what they did and really liked it. And so, um, of course, the entrepreneur uh, spirit was still within me. And so then Um, it changed, right? So I decided that I wanted to open up a clinic and be able to do nurse practitioner, family practice on my own. Um, However, here in Cyprus, it's very expensive to get a storefront. And um, I started thinking to myself, like, hey, how can I do like mobile? house calls. Mm, yeah. And I said it out loud. And one of my neighbors um, called me one day and she's like, hey, um, my daughter was sick the other day and I think I got whatever she has. Can you come by and I'll pay you? I was like, yeah, sure. I already Mm -hmm. had a delegating physician. I had everything set up to be able to practice. Um, I just didn't know how to actually do it. So I went to her house and I assessed her and we just started talking. And I was like, I literally just said this out loud that I wanted to start doing house calls and then you call me. And she's like, well, why don't you do it? She's like, I think it's like an amazing idea. Went on Nextdoor, which is an app for the neighborhood. And made this amazing, um, just told them everything about what she had and how she dealt with it, how she felt about the service. And people started calling me from then.
0: Wow. And then
1: it just grew. So I've been in business now for over a year. I recently just opened up an actual uh, clinic space. So I still do my mobile, but I also see patients there as well. Um, and so I do like that. Um, as far as the um, the direct provider care, um, I didn't even know there was such a thing. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to maybe come up with like a membership. For my patients that was affordable,
0: right.
1: And so after I did that, someone told me about the direct provider care, and so I started looking into it. I was like, okay, um. But I noticed that they didn't take insurance. Well, not everyone is gonna want to pay cash. You have some that are entrepreneurs like ourselves who. Um, just can't afford insurance, and so they're like, okay, yeah, like I would love to do your direct provider care or your prime membership. That's what I call my membership.
0: The fact that you have found a way to blend the two together, so you really don't have to turn people away. That's that's incredible. I am always like, I bow low to people who can do house calls. I am so scary. <laughs> I- <laughs> I don't know what kind of pets you got. I don't know what kind of kids you got. But it's a wonderful service because transportation is absolutely a barrier. And when people are just so sick, like that's why I love telemedicine. Because the last thing you want to do when you're sick enough to leave go your in home is to go in. Yeah. So that's that's awesome. I love the, um, the word of mouth. So what made you want to do it on your own did you ever work in a clinic with other nurse practitioners and physicians and PAs and yeah okay
1: absolutely I actually work for Texas Children's Hospital
0: um, which
1: is a big uh, uh, well we have inpatient and outpatient facilities here in sure, Houston sure. Um, it's the number four hospital in the United States and so I actually work mm. in the clinic aspect now Um, And so that's where I am full time. And then I do my patience um, in my business on my um, off days and before, after work. So I just um, like I said, I just have always have had that entrepreneurship spirit. My dad um, was an entrepreneur. My brother's an entrepreneur. And, you know, I'm like, if we can do it on our own, why Mm -hmm. not? You know, who say that we have to work for someone? I'm grateful for working for Texas Children because it's an amazing uh, corporation. And, I mean, I've learned so much from them, you know. So, um, and I think that's probably why I'm still there because of the amazing company that I work for. And it's a privilege even being there. Um, But it is... Just in me to do my own thing and do it
0: my way, you know? That's awesome. I. It's funny how different people come to that decision because for me, I have no entrepreneurial spirit. I just, you know, it's funny. I used to tell my husband all the time, I'll punch a clock. I'll punch a clock all day. I want to know what my paycheck's going to be. I want to be able to know that it's coming and not depend on whatever, whatever. But what I found in practice is, People have to have a primary care provider or be in the hospital to get referred to me, because mm-hmm. um, my my day job is specialty. I'm cardiology, and then they have to have insurance or prepay for the visit. Mm-hmm. And it's not it's not the same prices as direct patient care or memberships. It's it's you know you're paying a hefty amount before you come through the door, or you're paying a copay, which is a specialty copay. So those tend to be higher anyway. And Mm -hmm. that's just to see me. And so for me, it was more like, you know, not necessarily me wanting to have my own thing or or not answer to anybody. It was just like, there are so many people that I can't even touch. Especially Mm -hmm. I noticed that when I went from inpatient to outpatient. Because inpatient, they were coming in through the ER and the ER doesn't turn anybody away but then I wouldn't see these people in follow-up. Right. and follow-up. I don't know what's happened to them. And I'm like, well, dang, maybe they just can't afford it or didn't have the insurance. So I love all these other options that we're coming up with for our patients to, for not just our patients, but for our communities to be able to say, oh, I know somebody and I have access to the services that they provide. I think that's, just amazing amazing so you're board certified in family yes so that means you I have the same certification so um for the listeners that is I I call it um womb to tomb and when I'm being bad I say sperm to worm (laughs) (laughs) exactly yeah you said something earlier about wanting to get back to kids um you know, working with children, pediatrics in the ER, and then uh, working with adults for a while, and then wanting to get back to kids. What was that thing that made you know that you had to get back in a space where you were working with our younger clientele?
1: Well, because I was looking into doing um, chronic kids, um, and giving them a service that was not out in the community, um, children who, you know, may have had like diabetes type one or NICU babies that was able to go home but may have had a G tube, and they needed someone that was competent enough to give them feed-ins through that G tube, yeah. and so that was the um, along the lines of uh, my first business thoughts, ideas that I was having. And so that's why I wanted to get back into it, because I felt like I was away too long to be able to do it competently as a registered nurse. And so, yeah. Yeah,
0: Yeah, I think um, listeners, just to kind of make this make sense a little bit, um, inpatient setting is when someone is admitted to the hospital. And so they have a bed and a room, they may have a roommate, they may not. But they have access to all the care that's available within the hospital. And once they're discharged, more often than not, people discharge back to their home environment. So all of the things that they had at their fingertips or they just could push a call light and ask for, they have to figure out. So I don't think it's very um, uncommon. I hear this a lot in our community of nurses that, you know, there is a gap. There's a gap that we need to fill. We're keenly aware when people start readmitting and readmitting and readmitting that they don't have the tools to care for themselves or their children or their loved one outside the hospital setting. So the fact that uh, so many nurses identify those needs and then are creating businesses to meet those needs, to me, that's community health, you know. So I love that. And so you you got back out, got back connected with the kids, and now you're in a space where um, anybody can come see you. So let's talk about that for a minute. Like, why would somebody stumble upon upon your clinic? Like, what's special about it? What's different about it? How do people find you? And what Mm -hmm. do you offer that they may not be able to find in the mainstream um, multi-specialty clinic?
1: Well, for one, I feel like, you know, when you go to a doctor's office, for instance, you usually walk in, there's a room full of people waiting. Your appointment is at one o'clock, but you probably won't get seen until two o'clock. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have a quick 50 minute um, visit and you're done. And you're like, i took the whole day off for this you know um whereas i actually you know i don't take walk-ins so you have to make an appointment i schedule my patients an hour apart from each other so we can actually take time to talk to each other i get i can get to know you you can get to know me i think that is important with treating a patient because they know themselves better than you can like yes we might be educated enough to treat them, but yep. they know what um, complex things, situations they've had to deal with throughout mm-hmm. their illness. They also know what they've tried, what didn't work, what did work. And so it gives you time to actually get to know that patient.
0: Mm-hmm. My, I watched my dad and my mom really, really struggle with all the hoops they had to jump through to go to the doctor. Right. Because when they were young, the doctor came to them. You know, and they knew you, they knew your whole family. Yeah. Like now we might be like, oh, what's your family history? What's your family medical history? But when you're in the home, you see daddy over there wheezing with a weeping leg wound. You kind of have an idea of what you're dealing with. You see what kind of food's in the cabinet. You see, you know, the the social history is really illuminated. It's right before your eyes.
1: It fits right in because. We're going back to all about convenience. You have curbside pickup for your groceries. You have Amazon delivering all your stuff to your home. Now you could get health care right in in the comforts of your home on your couch. You know, Mm. even if you have to wait because your provider is running late, so what? You're at home. home. Yeah. You can do another load of
0: laundry. Put the dishes (laughs) away. Exactly. Yeah. And you're not exposed to everything that's in the waiting area. Yeah. Which I always, yeah. I, I'd be putting a mask on just because I don't know what you got. Like, it's not me. Right, But if right. I got to sit here, I'm not going to suck up whatever it is you're yes.
1: And, you know, I just think of all the kids that come in because they have a cough that just started yesterday, you know, and no fevers. But then they're in the clinic with 30, 40 mm-hmm. other patients that probably got something worse than they do. So now, yeah, now tomorrow they're going to be sicker, right? Yeah. So when you go to the home, you get to avoid all of that. Yeah. It's, it's just an amazing um, service.
0: That is an amazing service. There's no reason why we have to stay back knowing certain things in mainstream medicine just don't work for our patient population. We can really, you know, um, change some of those barriers and step out and do something different. <music> Communities all over the nation have issues with access to care, having enough primary care providers for people to get in and be seen in a timely fashion. And furthermore, the cost of living is just so high that many people can't afford insurance or to take a day off of work to seek care. Providers all over the nation are stepping out, just like Kareem, and starting their own practices to provide longer visits, more accessible visits through telemedicine, after hours, to provide longer, more accessible visits, and more affordable visits for people just like you. Check out direct patient care in your area, as well as telemedicine, Maybe your primary care provider has a telemedicine option or late evening appointments, some clinics even have weekend appointments, but there's always an option to be seen and get the help that you need. Corrine and I are going to continue our discussion, but we're going to talk about childhood obesity. Something that has been increasing over the years to the point that now it's an epidemic and we're starting to see things like high cholesterol and diabetes in young children. Did you know that your child should have approximately 12 well-child visits before their second birthday and then every year after that? These well-child visits are very important to make sure your child is reaching their developmental milestones. It's also an opportunity for you to get connected to community resources and to ask questions. I'm back now with Karin Copeland, family nurse practitioner, CEO and founder of Real Nurturing Family Practice in Cypress, Texas.
1: kids. I love adolescents especially. Um, Childhood obesity, I think is important. And I think is um, something that affects our community, especially, Um, you know, is has quadrupled um, since in the 80s. Um, And I'm testing kids as young as nine with high cholesterol, and even diabetes type two because of childhood obesity
0: what are some reasons that a parent should be concerned and bring them in is this something that you do at a well child check like when are you identifying these kids and how do you do that teaching uh,
1: we, when they come into for their well child checkup we always do their growth chart and check the bmi once they get to about four years and older um And so what I'm finding is that children in the African-American and Hispanic um, ethnicity, they are the ones that have a lot of obesity challenges. And I think a lot of it has to do with poverty and cultural beliefs, Um, of course. And due to poverty, um, there's not a whole lot of healthy food choices. Um, Also, healthy foods are just very costly. And so it's easier to go and buy junk food and hot dogs and nuggets and all the processed foods um, and feed it to your kids. And And then, of course, a lot of those parents are working two jobs to make ends meet. They're single parents. And so the kids kind of eat whatever is available. It might be bread with just mayo. You know, and a glass of milk, um, there's really not anything of substance there for them to eat. And then also um, culture beliefs because um, Hispanics and Caribbean um, upbringings, they believe that healthy is fat, you know, especially when it comes to children. If you're the chubbier your kid are, is, the cuter they are and the healthier they're um, perceived to be. And if they're skinny, then the elderly um people will say well oh they're so small why are they you're not feeding them you need mm-hmm. to feed and them, fatten them up you know and i have a, a lot of parents that come in and they're like oh um they won't eat they're picky eaters that get me to give them vitamins well no your child is actually a healthy normal weight for their height and this is where they're supposed to be mm-hmm. um so Just keep doing what you're doing, even though she seems like she's not eating enough or he's not eating enough. um, They are eating sufficient. And I try to go over the types of foods kids should have a well-rounded, balanced meal with your grains, your proteins, the vegetables, fruits. They should be having at least five uh, fruits and vegetables per day. Um, and then I always give them the my plate chart, which is a good representation of what our plates are supposed to look like. Often we have half of our plate is filled with starches and then the other side, which is protein and usually no vegetables when really half of your plate should be fruits and vegetables and then a quarter should be your protein and then the other quarter should be your carbs. Um, that's not what we're doing um, most households do not, <laughs> not eat
0: vegetables. What we're
1: doing. no no they don't cook vegetables and they're like oh well they don't like vegetables like well, you know what when we were growing up you had to sit at that table until you ate your vegetables so and else is. you cannot yeah you and was nobody, go to asked,
0: hungry. nobody asked what we liked I was, right I... <laughs> yeah no one asked what we like it's nobody. like you're gonna eat what was cooked and that's yeah.
1: it And if you don't want to eat, you can go to bed hungry, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And now they're, like, giving them whatever, you know, oh, they want nuggets, so here's your nuggets, or here's your hot dog, and those are just really bad. So, we start screening for cholesterol and diabetes at at age nine, Um, and I usually, like, have them follow up in three months if they're overweight.
0: So, When you say you start screening at age nine, is that every child or is this children who are are higher on the BMI chart? How, what what parents should know to ask for a cholesterol screening?
1: Yeah, mostly children who are um, on the higher um, BMI. If you're over 85% um, on the the weight chart or your BMI, Mm -hmm. that's when we usually start to screen. Sometimes younger if necessary. So if I see a child that's eight and they are on the 95th percentile, I might go ahead and and screen even then.
0: And you said you follow up in three months. Yeah, because,
1: you know, we wait a whole year because, you know, kids, they come, what, every year for their well-child checkup if they're healthy. So if I let them go a whole year, they could potentially gain another 20 pounds. Because, yes, I have seen where kids are gaining 20 pounds a year. Wow. And so I make them um, come in just so kind of accountability, right? I usually recommend at least 60 minutes of exercise at least three times a, a week. Um, and that could be playing because I want them to be kids. Yes. And I don't, I don't believe in putting kids on a diet. It's right. not about being on a diet because they're children. They're going to grow but we don't want them gaining 10, 15, 20 pounds in a year. We want them to be able to grow and maybe have their weight maintained and and gain weight at a slower um, rate than they're doing by eating healthy and having healthy choices.
0: I love that you said that maintain their weight rather than having them lose weight. And I've seen a lot of unhealthy practices that later resulted in people being fixated on a number on the scale because they were put on their first diet at 11. But really right. what we want to do is make it fun, make them try exactly. these new vegetables and new fruits and get them mm-hmm. playing a different game or a different sport that they're interested in. That's really key. We're not trying to make you know, a, a nine-year-old game weight. They are going to grow. Right.
1: <laughs> yeah. They're going to get taller. And so when the parents say, well, how much weight are they supposed to be for their height? No, it's different for them. Like, when you're grown, I've been 5'3 forever. So I know that I'm not grown anymore. So when I start creeping up in my weight, I know, like, hey, you you don't have two inches to grow. (laughs) Like, you need to lose that weight, right? right? But with kids, they don't need, I don't believe in them losing weight to diet because it's just not um, conducive to their mental health. And I want them to have high self-esteem. I'm not trying to break their spirit. Mm -hmm. I'm just trying to get them set up to make healthier choices for a lifestyle change because that's what it should be. Even with us, when we diet, it's just yo-yo diets. We're just going up and down because we diet for two weeks or a month and then we go right back to what we were doing two months ago. And so then you gain back the weight plus more but that's not what I want the kids to do. I want them to learn how to eat to live and not live to eat.
0: Where do you start? Where do they start with making that well, change?
1: I I usually talk to them about... Um, as far as them having access to foods and so i give them food bank resources i also encourage them to go and try to get food stamps to be able to afford the foods um i also talk to them about just timing right so we're all busy and, of course, it's easy to pop something in the microwave, but you have, like, pressure cookers, mm. uh, those quick pots that can cook now in an hour. Like, I just made some oxtails tonight in an hour and a half, and they were tender and falling off the bones, right? Not the healthiest, yeah. however, I use that as an example to show that's something that usually takes about five hours to cook on the stove right. that was cooked in an hour and a half. So imagine being able to get these things and cooking it in 30 minutes versus having to spend all day maybe doing a crock pot where you cook it overnight where they can wake up and have oatmeal for breakfast in the morning instead of getting a pop tart that's full of sugar Mm -hmm. um and no substance right so you can get like oatmeal cooked overnight and put some fruits in it and let it all cook and you have all the natural sugars to make it taste really good and they put it in a bowl and they go on to school with a glass of milk and it keeps them full until lunchtime, right? Mm -hmm. So those are just some of the suggestions that I usually tell them is utilize these things that we have that is just as quick as a microwave but can give healthier options.
0: Where will listeners be able to find you both in the world and online you know, those that are listening and they're like, you know what, I really dig this lady's philosophy. Where can they find you? Well,
1: um, I have a Facebook page. Um, it's Real Nurturing. So just like real and then nurturing. F as in Frank, N as in Nancy, P as in Paul, for so Family Nurse Practitioner. Um, and if they look that up, they will find me... Um, on Facebook I also have an Instagram page real nurturing FMP um, so they can find me there and then um, I have an office um, that is on Huffmeister here in Cyprus mm-hmm. they can go to www.realnurturingfnp.com mm-hmm. and they can get my address and phone number and do virtual visits anywhere in Texas
0: and we didn't talk about virtual visits. We talked about brick and mortar, and we talked about home visits, but can you speak to the virtual visits? Who, who is eligible for that? And um, they can get that information on your website, but who would be the ideal patient for that? So let's see, patients
1: like flu. People think like, oh, I think I have the flu. I need to go get tested. No, you do not. The rapid flu test is not that great. It is a 50-50, and so if you look like the flu, you sound like the flu, I'm going to treat you for the flu. Even if that flu test told me you were negative, I'm still going to do what I need to do regardless. Um, Chronic illnesses. So if I've seen you already and you have hypertension or diabetes and this is just like your six-month checkup or your three-month checkup to see how you're doing, we can do that virtually. You don't have to come into the office for that Um, rashes. Um, sinusitis uh, adult UTIs um, I, I won't do a child, a child over um, virtually because you know it can be anything but when an adult you pretty much know what a, a urinary tract infection is yeah. and so I can treat that virtually um, can also do a perforated um, otitis media because there's actual drainage and so I know that where there's perforation and drainage, there is a air infection that needs to be treated. Um, so so many things, so yeah. many things. That's um, a newer
0: way of getting care, but I love it yes. because it's accessible. Yes, it's accessible. Well, it's been so great talking with you. Thank uh, you for having me. Thank you for coming on and talking to the listeners. Thanks for tuning in. That was Corinne Copeland, family nurse practitioner out in Cypress, Texas, and founder of Real Nurturing Family Practice. Y'all, thank you so much for your responses. I was asking what you want to talk about, what you want to hear about, and I got overwhelming responses from you. Um, which brings me to next week's guest. You will not want to miss this episode. I'll be speaking with a registered dietitian. We are going to talk about eating. And I just want to give you a heads up in case you're like me and any talk about weight and food brings a certain level of anxiety. It's much easier than you think. See you next week. Listening to the Purple Stethoscope. I'm your host, Devin Nixon, family nurse practitioner. You can find me on social media at D the NP. That's on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and now Patreon. If you liked what you heard, go ahead and share this episode and then head over to Patreon to see how you can further support this work.